Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle them in the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created. And thou shalt forgive the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful, by the light of the Holy Ghost. Grant us by that same spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in this consolation. Through Christ our Lord, amen. May the divine assistance remain always with us. May the souls of the faithful depart. The mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Mary, seek of wisdom, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. Our holy guardian angels, pray for us. St. Patrick, pray for us. Isidore the farmer, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <coughs> I want to finish the uh, sermon of St. Bernadine of Siena about St. Joseph. Going back you know, about the year 1400, actually, and uh, St. Bernadine of Siena had just told us that Joseph was the key to the Old Testament, and in, in him were consummated the line of patriarchs and the line of prophets, and therefore he had a special dignity of all, of all men in sacred scripture and in the history of salvation. Uh, he asked the question about whether St. Joseph died, though. St. Joseph dead by the time our Lord perished on the cross? And he says, yes. Even by the time our Lord was baptized by St. John the Baptist? Yes, he says, St. Joseph had passed by then. He said, it is then piously believed that at St. Joseph's passing, Jesus Christ was present together with the Most Holy Virgin. The number of pure exhortations, consolations, promises, illuminations, inspirations, and revelations of eternal goods he received on his deathbed from his most holy spouse and the most sweet Jesus, Son of God, I leave to the devout mind to contemplate and consider. God wished Joseph to die before the sacred passion for two reasons. In particular, lest he be tormented with immense sorrow at the death of Christ, and in order that the privilege of faith during the Passion might remain in the Blessed Mother alone. Finally, although St. Joseph was of such great dignity and favor that the Eternal Father most liberally gave him the likeness of his primary, the likeness of primacy over his incarnate Son, yet Holy Church was not prescribed, has not prescribed much solemnity for him. First, because he descended into limbo and pertains to the Old Testament. And secondly, to avoid giving scandal to the heretics. Therefore, the Church does not call him the Father of Jesus, except with the modification foster. So in this uh, statement, St. Bernadine is actually giving a little bit of an explanation why up to his time there was not such a great emphasis on St. Joseph. He gives two reasons. He says, because St. Joseph was among those who descended into limbo, that is to say, he was a saint of the Old Testament, and uh, he took his place among them in limbo, waiting for the sacrificial death of our Lord. And so the church considered him a saint of the Old Testament and 
Customarily, the church did not emphasize the saints of the Old Testament, but rather the saints who were actually sanctified and died and uh, had the faith and hope and charity of the church that Christ himself had brought into the world. Now, this was an explanation that he gave himself, definitely, as to why St. Joseph was not widely honored in the West, in any case. But in saying these words, it's ironic that St. Bernadette of Siena was going to change that. That he says the church did not prescribe much solemnity for St. Joseph. You know, the very process of saying that here in the letter, he was actually militating for the development of this devotion to St. Joseph. And so the church theologically and devotionally embraced embraced St. Joseph. And uh, also uh, St. Uh, Bernadine says he wanted, they wanted to avoid giving scandal to heretics, giving fodder to heretics. <clears throat> by not emphasizing the fatherhood of Joseph, but the true fatherhood of Almighty God. You see, in the earliest centuries of the church, there were those who had a very hard time accepting the fact that Jesus was truly the Son of God. We think of the Arian heretics. We think of quite a number of others who really downgraded the humanity of Jesus. And... Um, downgraded, therefore, the idea of the Incarnation. And so, perhaps, again, for that reason, the Church thought it best to keep St. Joseph on the side a bit until it became firmly established in the minds of all that the heresy that questions the true humanity of Jesus was abandoned and we all embraced fully the reality of the Divine Mystery of the Incarnation. Now, St. Bernadine continues here. He talks about the reward of glory which St. Joseph obtained in soul and body. This is how he actually ends his sermon about Joseph. He says, thirdly, the text quoted in the beginning to describe the state of glory of this saintly man expresses the sublimity of glorification since it concludes with, enter into the joy of thy master. Indeed, we should believe that Christ has not denied to Joseph in heaven that familiarity, reverence, and most sublime dignity which he showed him as a son to a father while on earth, but rather has completed and consummated it in heaven. This is justly inferred from the text proposed by our Lord, Enter into the joy of thy master. Although it is the joy of eternal beatitude which enters into the heart of a man, the Lord wished rather to say to him, Enter thou into joy, that he might insinuate mystically how, in the case of Joseph, this joy is not only within him, but encircling and absorbing him on all sides, immersing him as in an infinite abyss. We may piously believe, but not assert, that the most holy Son of God, Jesus, crowned his foster father with the same privilege which he gave his mother, that as he assumed her into heaven bodily and glorious in soul, so also on the day when he arose, 
He took Joseph up with him in the glory of the resurrection. So that as this glorious family, Christ, the Virgin, and Joseph, had dwelt together on earth in the labors of life and in loving grace, so now they reign in heaven in loving glory of body and soul. Interesting that St. Bernardine would suggest that when our Lord rose from the dead, he also resurrected St. Joseph. And the body of Joseph also was assumed into heaven. And that Joseph, even now, is in heaven, body and soul. So that with the arrival of the Blessed Mother's Assumption and her glorification in heaven, the Holy Family was reunited there, body and soul. The Church has not pronounced on this. That's why he says, we may piously believe, but not assert that this is true. We can't say it is true, it is over a fact. <clears throat> but he says it's still pious to believe it. In fact, if you ask yourself, why is there no tomb of Jesus? Well, there is, but his body is not there. So we go to the tomb of our Lord, we find it empty. That's understandable. Why is there no tomb of Mary, no resting place of Mary on earth? Why can't we go and make a pilgrimage to the grave of Mary? There was none. By the same token, we might ask, why are there no pilgrimages to a tomb of Joseph? Where is his burial place? There's no record. There's no record of his death, of his burial. There's no record of any place of his final resting place here on earth. Curious, perhaps St. Bernadine of Siena was thinking of that when he said it is pious to believe that his body was also taken to heaven. But he continues here, this is according to the norm of the Apostle, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. As you are partakers of the sufferings, so will you also be of the comfort. For it is written in St. Matthew chapter 27, and many bodies of the saints arose who had fallen asleep, that is, were dead. According to St. Jerome, this was done at the Lord's resurrection because the Lord was the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, as we read in Apocalypse chapter 1. This is narrated nevertheless by anticipation to show that the fact took place by the power and merit of his passion. I say these souls arose with Christ as proofs of his resurrection. This Matthew 27 sets down plainly when he says, and coming forth out of the tombs after his resurrection, they came into the holy city and appeared to many. We may piously believe that among these risen ones was the most holy Joseph. Now, it seems that St. Bernadine is suggesting that the souls of the patriarchs and prophets of old that were released, released from limbo when our Lord came for them from the cross, that their bodies rose, at least some of them, he seems to indicate that they also ascended into heaven with our Lord and that they are now there. The church has never spoken about this. It's interesting that St. Bernadine would suggest this. But the church's belief, I think you'd find commonly, is that even though the bodies walked the streets of Jerusalem, they walked the streets of Jerusalem to be recognized by their descendants because these were the souls of the holy prophets and patriarchs 
who could bear witness to the grave, grave crime that was committed by the crucifixion of the Lord. And they would walk the streets of Jerusalem almost as a reproach to those who crucified Christ, but also as a sign to them. Also as a sign to them. Remember our Lord told a parable about a man, well, in the Latin he's called Didas. In other words, the parable of the rich man and the poor man. The rich man feasted and the poor man starved. He wanted to be allowed just to crawl on the floor and pick up the crumbs that fell from under the table. He wasn't allowed to do that, though. And so they both died, as our Lord said, and the rich man went to hell. And the poor man was taken to the bosom of Abraham. And there <coughs> the, the rich man, the, the poor man on earth, who is now rich with the riches of heaven, was an object of envy by the rich man who had been condemned to hell. And he asked a favor. He asked Lazarus a favor. He said, please, uh, O Abraham, send Lazarus to my brothers to warn them not to come here, to warn them to change their lives. And uh, what did Abraham respond? It is impossible uh, that he should come to you after all, the rich man wanted Lazarus to dip his finger into a bit of water and just touch his tongue to grant him some relief. That's how seriously he was tormented. But the uh, patriarch Abraham said, that's impossible because of the gulf between us. And as far as sending Lazarus to your brothers to try to warn them, what did Abraham say in the parable of our Lord? This is our Lord speaking now. He said, they have... Moses and the prophets. So they have the law and they have the prophets. If they will not listen to them, they will not listen to anyone even if he should rise from the dead. This was a warning to the Pharisees and Sadducees around our Lord, kind of a, a preview of the idea they would not believe even in the case of the resurrection. But there you have it. There you have the patriarchs of old prophets walking the streets, bodily walking the streets of Jerusalem after our Lord died on the cross. They would not believe. Prophecy fulfilled. But to say that they ascended into heaven with our Lord, body and soul, that the church has never said. The assumption is, the church's understanding is that they, their bodies returned to the earth, their souls then entered into heaven with our Lord at the ascension. In any case, Again, it's an interesting point of theology, the eschatology that St. Benedict would bring up this subject. But he's talking about St. Joseph himself being bodily in heaven. The idea that the church has never condemned is simply that the church has not taught it because the church has not ruled on that. In any case, this is how he concludes the sermon. Remetius asks, what happened to those who rose with Christ? And he answers, that we should believe by all means that they did not go back afterwards, but ascended into heaven together with Christ. This is Sarodinia. And this agrees with right reason, first, with respect to Christ, secondly, with respect to the fact, he says. Regarding Christ, it harmonizes with his power and glory and the testimony of the resurrection. Both his own, already accomplished, and our future resurrection, so that it cannot be believed that he rose alone as God and not his elect. 
For on the authority of St. Paul, 1 Corinthians, we shall all indeed rise. Regarding the fact it conforms to reason because on the part of any blessed soul, its resurrection as regards the body is deferred only, that so solemn a thing may occur with a greater solemnity and unity, and as it were, in a more noble order of time and of other circumstances. Wherefore, St. Paul says of the saints in Hebrews chapter 1, these did not receive what was promised, namely eternal glory. For God had something better in view for us, so that they should not be perfected without us, namely in glory with their bodies. <clears throat> so this is a curious statement of the privilege that he thinks we can piously believe about St. Joseph, Joseph. He says, if therefore for a reasonable cause and by a special privilege the resurrection of both body and soul were given sooner to Joseph and to some others, there is no disturbance of order, rather does it harmonize with reason. For it behooves ordinary things so to be conserved in their order and that they nevertheless allow of the great king's privileges. So he speaks of that as a privilege, a special privilege given to St. Joseph. That's how he piously believes it to be. Now the bell is ringing for the Angelus, so I ask you to please stand for the Angelus. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Ghost. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, they have done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our Pray for us, the Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we join the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, who was paid down by the message of an angel, and by his passion and trust, brought the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ, our Lord, amen. May the divine assistance remain always with us. <coughs> the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. O Mary, conceive in our sin, pray for us in our recourse to thee. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Bernadine of Siena, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, say that. If for no other reason, by the way, one might say that it is a theological opinion that the Church certainly has not condemned, all one has to do is realize that this sermon of St. Joseph, the sermon about St. Joseph by St. Bernadine itself, the sermon has been approved. It actually gives us part of the divine office on the feast day of St. Joseph, both his feast day and his solemnity. The uh, reading, a reading from the divine office is taken from that sermon. And the church considers St. Bernadine of Siena a, a saint indeed. So, if what he were saying was a heresy, if it were heretical, he would not be known as a saint, and the church would not be taken from his writings. <clears throat> so anyway, it is a pious belief that is accessible to us to believe that.
But you know, St. Joseph uh, is known for the decisions he made in, uh, in stress and difficult times. Uh, decisions that would uh, actually daunt the heart of a very strong man. St. Joseph was a very strong man, and he was, in fact, a man's man, really. Uh, we see in his silence a kind of restraint, and in that we see a kind of love. We see a definite love there. You see, it's possible to demonstrate one's love by the things we do, <clears throat> but there's another aspect to that demonstration of true love, and that is love demonstrated by the things we will not do. There is a matter of restraint. Love imposes upon us a certain restraint. Uh, there are many things that St. Joseph did. After all, when our Lord says, if you give so much as a cup of cold water to a little one in my name, you will not lose your reward. How often did St. Joseph provide that for our Lord Jesus Christ when he was an infant, when he was a child growing up? How often did St. Joseph perform these services for our Lord, for which we know that he would never lose the reward that he did, not only in the name of Jesus, but for his sake. But there are many things that St. Joseph did not do also. And of course, they're, they're not recorded because they didn't happen. Uh, our, our Lord was so loved by St. Joseph that he exercised perfect restraint over his passions. He exercised restraint not only of his mouth, he exercised restraint over his heart. We think of St. Joseph as a great model of purity of life. And if purity is to be manifested in any way, it is manifested by restraint, not indulgence, but by restraint. And now we see that perfect love of St. Joseph for the Christ child, for his Lord and his God, by the restraint he showed in what St. Bernadine called the first intimacy, the virginal uh, purity of this man's life. That's why he's such a model for us, a model of love not only demonstrated by what he did, but a model of love demonstrated no less by what he would not do. And that is especially capped and crowned by his purity of life. We need St. Joseph desperately. The entire world needs St. Joseph. Now. They need his prayers, they need his example. We need his intercession in heaven. And uh, we, need, we need here on earth men devoted to St. Joseph to appreciate him and can hold him up as a model by imitating his example, by emulating him. So uh, when we meditate upon his life, we actually give ourselves an opportunity to go to school and let St. Joseph be the professor, as it were, to be our professor and teach us what it is to love our Lord with a perfect love, a perfect love by what we do, and a perfect love by what we will not do to return that love. You know, the name Joseph actually has uh, a meaning. These names from the, from the Bible actually have meanings in Hebrew. And uh, the meaning of the name Joseph is a variation on the idea of God 
gives the increase, or God gives the benefit. Uh, some say it's an invocation, may God give the increase, may God give the benefit. And uh, the, uh, the name of Joseph certainly implies here that God will give, God will give, God will give. In this case, God will give his son. God will give himself. God will give. It refers to the great gift of God. And uh, so his name is certainly aptly chosen, even as the name of Jesus himself is aptly chosen. And he gives him at the, at the hand of Joseph. The hand of Joseph drew the first blood of our Lord. <clears throat> How the human hand of Joseph must have trembled slightly with that knife. Perhaps he thought at that time as he sharpened that knife and applied it, the body of the newborn savior, of a man long before him, a patriarch, who had been ordered by God to slay his son. Perhaps he thought of Abraham, realized that this is the son of God now, and what I'm doing is the fulfillment of what God asked Abraham long to do, long ago, but what he would not require Abraham to do. And that is to take the life of his own son, Isaac. But here was Joseph, a man on earth, with a human hand, and a, a very material, sharp knife, about to draw blood from the body of one, the one conceived by God, his own son. How would a man be able to handle that? All kinds of Thoughts come into one's mind, all kinds of emotions come into one's mind. And St. Joseph did indeed have the heart of a father, clearly. But he was able to carry out the tasks assigned to him. Why? Well, because he did what a man does. A man does not obsess about himself. A man does not take everything personally. And that's the part of the problem we have, every one of us, every one of us somehow sullies his manhood by taking things personally and becoming all kind of tangled up in the, the web and the thread of our personal interests, our pride, our ego, our arrogance. We all tend to do that. Joseph seemingly did not do that. He was above that. He was truly a man. He had superseded all of that. He could put aside all of that simply to carry out God's will. So anything that came to him was not a personal problem. It was a practical problem. He didn't consider the fact that the woman whom he loved and admired so much was having a child without him. He didn't go around complaining about it. He didn't go shaking his fist, pounding his fist, saying, why me, why me? He didn't do that. <clears throat> it was a practical problem for him. What do I do? How do I do the right thing? I've got to see clearly here. 
to put my feelings aside. It's not about me. How do I follow God's will in this? Long before he knew the real significance of what was happening. It was still the first thing in his mind. First, the foremost thought in his mind was, how do I do God's will? How do I be faithful? How do I respect my trust in Mary for her virtue at the same time trying to deal with the fact that she is having a child without me? Now, there are many men who could not handle that kind of thing. And then when God revealed the truth to them, they couldn't have handled that either because, again, they would have taken it all very personally. And St. Joseph saw himself as there for service. He was there for service. His vocation, as far as he was concerned, he was there to serve. And it was not his to try to make sense out of the things of heaven. He was there to carry out the will of God. So he saw it again as a very practical problem. If you and I did that all the time and refused to allow ourselves to take things personally, but we saw everything as a practical problem in the sense of thinking rationally, how can I solve this problem? How can I make this better? Then we would actually accomplish a great deal more good and do a lot less harm that way too. You know, there are a number of Josephs. I mentioned his name. Uh, God giving the increase, or God giving the benefit. That name Joseph we see in the Bible with a number of rather well-connected people. We talked about Joseph, the son of, uh, of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. So clearly this, this Joseph of the Old Testament, we read about him in the book of Genesis, was very well connected um, here on earth, but especially in heaven. I mean, the man was here as an emissary from God and a prefigure, a prefigure of this, our own Saint Joseph. But there's also another Joseph spoken of in the New Testament, and that, that Joseph was uh, a, a son he was actually sometimes referred to as the brethren, among the brethren of Jesus. He was a relative of our Lord. There was a Joseph who was a, apparently slightly younger than our Lord. He was the son of a, a Mary who was a companion of the Blessed Mother at the foot of the cross. Not Mary Magdalene, another. And uh, so that young man is referred to a number of times in the Gospels. But our St. Joseph, the spouse of Our Lady, the foster father of our Lord, he is mentioned in St. Matthew's Gospel seven times. He's mentioned in St. Luke's Gospel four times. Mentioned in St. John's Gospel only twice. And not mentioned at all in the Gospel according to St. Mark. So again, even the references to him that speak of him by name are very few, as though it's in a, a kind of a protestation of the humility, and again, St. Joseph's own personal inclination to remain not only inaudible, but relatively invisible, because he didn't want the focus on him, but on the divine fatherhood of Jesus Christ, who had been entrusted to him. It's as though St. Joseph did not want to in any way intrude or impinge on that. 
you can be sure that St. Joseph had a lot to say. He wasn't verbose, but what he had to say was basically between him and the Blessed Mother, between him and our Lord and Savior. What did he say there? You think about all the things St. Joseph could have said, all the things he knew about the life of our Lord, the life of Our Lady, all the things that he learned and had observed in our Lord. You know, the Gospel tells us that there were, on two occasions, that when things happened, very poignant things, the Blessed Mother kept these things in her heart. And those words apply to Our Lady as though her heart was some kind of a vessel, uh, like an archive, but more than that, in which she kept in mind the mysteries of life with her son. Uh, she kept in her heart the mysteries, for example, of uh, when our Lord was taken, she took him into the temple. It was Our Lady who took him into the temple for the first time. It was she who was confronted with the words, a sword shall pierce your heart, that the hearts of many will be revealed. So it was there in the temple holding the infant. Actually, she had surrendered him into the arms of Simeon, the prophet. It was there that the Blessed Mother heard those words for the first time, the sword shall pierce your heart. So when she went to the temple with Jesus to fulfill the law, these are the words that greet her, the prospect of what was his impending death. She kept those things in her heart, the Gospel says. But also, then, 12 years later or so, um, when the child Jesus, now a man by the law, 12 years old, stayed in Jerusalem and allowed Mary and Joseph to go, they took a day's journey into the desert on the way back to Galilee. When the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph found our Lord there in the temple, and our lady asked him, why have you done this to us? And he answered, but he did. Why did you, why have you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The Gospel says Mary kept that in her heart too. Those are the two references to Mary keeping these mysteries in her heart. And these were mysteries. These were, these were truly divine mysteries that she kept locked away in her heart there because they imprinted in those mysteries was her own destiny and her service to our Lord. But if these words apply to Mary, you can say they certainly apply to Joseph too. How much he knew, how much he could have said, and yet he is silent. But he's not, he is not really invisible, as they say. He spoke by what he did, and he spoke by what he did not do. Now, if you read the instances of references to St. Joseph by name in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, you find that already in St. Matthew chapter 1, the very first mention of Joseph, verse 16, Matthew 1, 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. That's the very first mention of St. Joseph in the Gospel. And then, just two verses later, we read of St. Joseph by name again. Now the generation of Christ was in this wise, when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And then we read in the next two verses, whereupon Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing publicly to expose her, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in his sleep, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary for thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So there you have the references to Joseph's decision. And then we read in verse 24, this is all in St. Matthew, the very first chapter of the first gospel of the New Testament. And Joseph, rising up from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took him unto his wife, took her as his wife. And so you see all of this story of St. Joseph and that decision he made are encapsulated in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, between verses 16 and 24. And then we read in St. Matthew one more time. Uh, in verse 2, actually two more times, I beg your pardon, in, verse, in chapter 2. And after they were departed, that is the kings, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to sleep and sleep to Joseph, saying, Arise, and take the child and his mother, and fly into Egypt, and be there until I shall tell thee. For it will come to pass that Herod will seek the child to destroy him. That's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And then there is an eighth reference. And that is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in sleep to Joseph in Egypt. And so there you have... Very, in the first two verses of the Gospel of St. Matthew, the references to Joseph. Now, you know of various apparitions that Joseph has come to visit us here on earth. You know, when he's come, even in his apparitions, he has been rather silent. This is very present, is a commanding presence there. St. Joseph appeared to St. Gertrude. St. Gertrude the Great. I mentioned St. Gertrude in connection with the Sacred Heart. But she also had an apparition of St. Joseph. This is what she said. I saw heaven opened, and St. Joseph sitting upon a magnificent throne. I felt myself wonderfully affected when each time his name was mentioned, all the saints made a profound inclination toward him showing by the serenity and sweetness of their looks that they rejoiced with him on account of his exalted dignity. Talk about being more joy among the angels of heaven. Well, in this case, St. Gertrude's vision showed that in heaven, St. Joseph's presence there, even the mention of his name gives joy to the angels of heaven. And we see also a reference to the matter of the seven sorrows and seven joys of St. Joseph and how we came to know of those. In the 16th century, there arose a devotion. This is in the 16th century, out of the 1500s. A devotion called the Seven Our Fathers of St. Joseph, which would later be known as the Seven Sorrows and Joys. The devotion, as it appears today, is credited to Blessed Gennaro Sanelli, 
Below is related the brief story of how this devotion came to be at the request of St. Joseph himself. There were once two priests of the Franciscan order who were sailing along the coast of Flanders. A terrible tempest arose, sinking the ship along with 300 passengers. The two fathers grabbed hold of a nearby plank, embracing it for dear life, and as they were tossed about in the violent waves for three days and three nights, all the while the two men had recourse to St. Joseph, praying and begging for his assistance to save them in the name of God from their most helpless and dire situation. On the third day, someone came to their aid, appearing as a most radiant man, encouraging them to have faith and to continue to confide in St. Joseph. The mysterious man safely conducted them into a harbor, much to the happiness and relief of the two priests. And upon arriving safely, they thanked him repeatedly and asked for the name of the man who had just saved their lives. The man revealed to them that he was none other than St. Joseph, the one to whom they had prayed all the time. The two priests, wanting to extend some form of honor or respect to the saint for all that he had done for them, asked what they could do to show their gratitude. And St. Joseph told them to honor him in this way, recite daily the Our Father and Hail Mary seven times while meditating on his seven sorrows and his seven joys. And after advising them this, he had disappeared as mysteriously as he had come. This is an account that you see uh, repeated a number of places with regard to the origin of that devotion to the seven joys and seven sorrows of St. Joseph. It was requested by St. Joseph himself on the occasion of a miracle. But there are others too. You know, there, there is an account of St. Joseph's apparition in the 1950s to a, a nun here in Cincinnati, were you aware of that? It was an apparition that was actually approved by Bishop Leibold, Archbishop Leibold of Cincinnati. Uh, so it's an interesting account. Anyway, we'll get to that next because we have to go now. We have, uh, according to our schedule, we have some meditation in the chapel, and I ask you, we'll, we'll pray, and I ask you to go to the chapel now. That is to take place between 12.30 and 12.45. So I ask you by 12.30 to be in the chapel and take those 15 minutes for mental prayer and conversation with God and St. Joseph. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shown, world without end. Amen. Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.